Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. It's the early morning vista that Sydney ciders have become accustomed to. Thick smoke from the bushfires enveloping the city. From the M1 to the Harbour Bridge, commuters struggled to see their way into work. Ferries got through the morning peak before being brought to a halt as the morning wore on and visibility descended to levels well and truly exceeding the hazardous index. Canada's wildfire season is now officially the worst ever recorded. It's only going to get worse as peak fire season continues. Anyone who was in the Bay Area almost three years ago remembers the day this happened when the sky turned orange. It was September 9, 2020. It was due to the poor air quality caused by smoke from the wildfires burning across our state. Wasn't that the weirdest day? Well, now we're seeing the same phenomenon on the East Coast. Uh, look at these incredible images. You can see the iconic Empire State Building shrouded in that orange mm -hmm. haze. And the rest of New York City's skyline looks like we're seeing it through an orange filter. Right. And not only is it just devastatingly look, you know, weird looking, but it's concerning air quality wise. The conditions are affecting millions of Americans in at least 18 states. A mass evacuation this morning along Australia's southeastern coast with bushfires looming and extreme danger ahead. A heat wave expected to push temperatures over 100 degrees Fahrenheit by the weekend. Tourists, residents, everybody being told to get out. Fred O'Sullivan is uh, in Kerry. He's on the line. Fred, what did you see over the weekend? Yes, uh, lots of fires over the weekend and huge destruction done to habitats uh, all around the country. Uh, real soul destroying stuff. Uh, and even like 23 callouts from Kerry Fire Services this past weekend. And 15 of those were to deal with gosh fires. What causes one in nine deaths worldwide? Affects 80% of people living in cities but is often invisible. What leads to more than a quarter of deaths from heart disease? 34% of deaths from stroke. It kills almost as many people each year as the number of breaths you take. The answer, air pollution. Now, according to the World Economic Forum, 99% of the world's population experience air pollution levels exceeding guidelines from the WHO. But research from my next guest shows that air pollution doesn't just impact our lungs, but can also lead to heart attacks and strokes. Joining me now is Annette Peters. She's Chair of Epidemiology at the Faculty of Medicine at LMU Munich. Uh, welcome to the programme, Annette. Um, can we just start off maybe talking about where the world is in terms of air pollution? How much of an issue is it in, in Europe, for example? So air pollution is an issue globally, but also in Europe. We have standards in Europe which are way too high. They are five times as high as the recommended level for fine particles by the, the World Health Organization. And nearly all um, European citizens are exposed to levels higher than the WHO guideline values of 21. When we talk about air pollution, uh, what are we talking about from a, a molecule point of view? Are there different types of pollutants and what sort of sizes are they? Because there are, there are, are some larger molecules, larger particulates, and then there are smaller ones as well, aren't there? So the air pollution we are most concerned about are particles. And these particles are really tiny. 
if they are below 2.5 micrometers, they can reach deep into our lungs and can exhibit their um, effects there. These particles are so small that you may see them, see them as mist, but you cannot discern them individually. When, um, when you say small particulates, th these um, getting into our deep lung, how do we know where these uh, pieces of matter are traveling? Because we're talking about really, really tiny uh, pieces of, of, of particulate, right? So we know where these particles go from decades of research. Um, researchers have developed instruments so that they can measure the sizes of these particles in the air. Um, and so generally, our monitoring station measures the weight of the particles. However, this, this does not give the distribution of the sizes. And for that, we need to count the particles in different size bins and use um, sophisticated laser-based technologies. And with that information, we can know how the air is composed. In addition, there has been research both in animals and humans really understanding where in the lungs the particles go there. And as I said before, those smaller than 2.5, uh, which we call fine particles, they go deep into our lungs. And then if they are smaller than 100 nanometer, they can even leave the lungs and can be found in different organs of our body. Of course, this has not been tested in humans, but this is um, evidence we have from animal research. So the, these small particles that get into our lung, that sounds problematic, but ha you say we only know that from animal models. Can we not see these on an X-ray or by taking blood samples or biomarkers? So these particles are really tiny, um, therefore they're hard to see. Um, and the second point is that a lot of them are composed of soot. And soot is our carbonaceous uh, material, which is equivalent to what we are made of, of ourselves. So generally speaking, we cannot see these particles in our body. Um, there is now new research emerging that novel technologies can also detect, for example, small soot particles in um, uh, in fetus um, of aborted children. So, yes, they can be seen with novel technology, but this is not the method we can use for really um, um, describing what is happening on the population level. There we need to uh, rely on monitoring and epidemiological studies. So people listening to this might think, oh God, not another thing to worry about. And my parents smoked for 40 years and died age 95. I have lived in a house with an open fire my whole life and it hasn't been that much of a problem. Surely when I walk outside and it's fresh air, it's not that much of an issue. How do we, how do we gauge that? Where does the air pollution levels in a, in a city or on a house like mine on a, on a main road how do I gauge the significance of that compared to something like smoking or living in a house with an open fire? So smoking is, a, is a, our own choice. And indeed, in there you have also particles and people are harmed, even if they do not realize it right away. 
And yes, there are those people who are lucky enough to have smoked their whole life and um, survived to old age, but most didn't. Um, they died of lung cancer and they had heart attacks. So it's the same mechanisms as smoking. However, our body has certain um, defense mechanisms to cope with that. Um, but we are not made all equal. So some of us are vulnerable. And therefore, in order to protect everybody, we need tighter guidelines because globally, the, um, the 7 million deaths are attributable to air pollution. And in Ireland, indeed, you are in a lucky situation because you have relatively clean air. But the current WHO guideline, which are based on studies which are really dedicated to these low levels, also indicate that for Ireland, you would have um, avoidable deaths, especially in a metropolitan center like Dublin. What about our immune system, though, Annette? We, you know, we know that the lungs have a fantastic method of transporting things that shouldn't be there out. Why doesn't our immune system rid our body of these pollutants? Our immune system is indeed our defense mechanisms against these particles. Um, so our immune system is indeed the defense we have. And luckily, it is able to clean our lungs of the particles. So we have macrophages in the deep lung, which detect the particles, are able to in ingest them and transport them out of the lung. However, if under current urban situations, they kind of need to be, there need to be many of those. So they call for additional immune cells on days with high exposures. And um, thereby, the whole immune system of our body is alerted. And we have shown in our research that this indeed contributes to um, the development, for example, to calcification in the coronary artery, which means that the arteries supplying our heart are, uh, are obstructed by plugs, similar, a similar mechanism as it is occurring in smokers. What about these acute events that we're seeing in Canada and America, Australia, wildfire events that cause an enormous amount of smoke and hazardous materials, presumably not good for us to be inhaling those. Uh, can an acute event like that trigger something like um, a heart attack or um, stroke? Is there really evidence of that or is it very, very rare? So acute exposure to particles as we are either experiencing them on a very smoggy day or now doing wildfire episodes can trigger heart attacks. And the reason is that these um, large amounts of particles which you inhale during an acute event really activate the immune system in the lungs to get uh, rid of all the material in the lungs. But the consequences also that there is a systemic inflammatory response in our body. And if you happen to have um, a, a, a calcification in the arteries supplying your heart, it's more likely that these um, plaques, as we call them, can rupture. And therefore, indeed, we see more acute events during these episodes of myocardial infarctions. How do we monitor the levels of pollutants in our own neighborhood? Is there a way of, of, of 
figuring out how much pollutants are coming into our homes because our homes generally are not a great defense against these air pollutants. Is that correct? So we, we monitor these air pollutants in our cities in, to comply with general regulation. Um, most of the relevant components, such as the fine particles, are monitored, as well as gases pollutants, such as nitrogen dioxide or ozone. However, the ultrafine particles, which are able to really distribute within the entire body, are not monitored. And therefore, we as scientists call that this is added now that for Europe, the air quality standards are revised. We think this is important that new this these very fine particles are also added to the monitoring regimes. In addition, there is now more and more modeling ongoing so that we can, that many cities can actually have maps of the distribution of the air pollution. Generally speaking, air pollution is high close to major roads. It's also high if, for example, inefficient heating appliances um, are used. And Ireland, for example, was one uh, was a champion in banning cold in the 1990s. And this may also be important to, to continue to monitor and make uh, and have local action to abate air pollution. China, obviously, being um, exposed to this in a major way very early on compared to other countries because of the size of its cities, Beijing being the sort of flagship smog city, uh, they also um, have taken the most innovative approaches. And there are many um, buildings inside China that are um, completely and utterly purified when it comes to their air quality. Um, I, I, when I was in China making a TV program, I, I'm I was in a, inside a, an apartment building that had 99.9% pure air. And I'm wondering, is that the direction we need to go? Do we need to have air purifiers within our buildings, particularly large apartments that are in, in the city centre? Should we be purifying all air internally to improve the health of our, our population? Or is that just economically unfeasible at the moment? To my mind, this is... Uh economically unfeasible, but it's also not the best public health measure. So ideally, we really need to reduce air pollution in our urban areas. And I think there is a double need because cleaning up the air will also decarbonize our economies and our way of living. And given that we have the climate crisis, I think it's really important that we abate air pollution and not use air purifier or air cleaning. This may, this would also confine us people uh, within our houses, which we would not like to do. You mentioned earlier in the interview that there, um, there are not human trials of these ultrafine particles or that we're, it, it, we haven't been trialing this in humans for, for obvious reasons. But you are um, part of a very large study across Germany. Can you tell me a little bit about what you hope to learn from that? So we are conducting a large cohort study across Germany, which is building upon the UK biobank experience. And by studying more than 200,000 people across um, 18 study centers in, in Germany, we hope to understand better the complexity of environmental exposures. So there's air pollution, but there's also noise. There is greenness and improvements in our city we can take. And then there is 
um, heat and uh, adverse weather events. And so moving forward, I think we should um, have a cleaner and better urban environment for us people. And so we hope that we can contribute with a large um, German national cohort to uh, a better, healthier future. I wanted to finish by asking about um, the the power of the people uh, when it comes to this fight against pollution um, and climate change. In America, there is a trial going on where young people are taking the state of Montana to court to uh, to try and get them to stop supporting fossil fuel industry. And I'm wondering, is this a trend that you think will be... Um, followed in Europe, will we likely see court cases against polluters by uh, individuals near near coal mines and so on? Will that sort of uh, legal activity increase, do you think? So, for example, there's also an example of legal activity within Germany. So there is a non-governmental organization which is actually taking cities to court for violating air pollution standards. There's also a very powerful other example from the city of Milan where um, citizens have measured the nitrogen dioxide concentrations, which are extremely high in, uh, in Milan. And so they were able to show that actually the current limits, uh, the current standards are exceeded and they were provided, were providing to the politicians evidence that there is indeed an air pollution problem. And so I think it's also important that we as citizens take this seriously. And um, if the data is not officially available, um, gather data and make our case heard. Because then it's easier actually for politicians to take action if they have the backing of the people of a city or a country. Well, Annette Peters is a Chair of Epidemiology at the Faculty of Medicine at LMU Munich. Thank you very much for your time, Annette. Thank you. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk.